Hey everyone, Michael here with just a quick note before we get into today's episode. One, Tom's microphone is dying, apparently. You may have noticed in a few recent episodes he's starting to get a little bit of weird staticky stuff that we can't seem to clean up. It happens in this episode near the back half, so like the first 30 minutes you don't hear it at all, and the last 30 minutes you'll hear it occasionally when he's talking. We are in the process of getting him a new microphone, thanks to the patrons of the RPG Academy. They're helping us get that new microphone for him. But there probably will be a few more episodes for a few more weeks before he everything gets caught up. He gets the new one and stuff we've already recorded. It's, you know, already put out, all that kind of good stuff. Secondly, in this episode, we try to go kind of spoiler-free early on, and I don't know that we do a good job of that. So I just want to say off the top, if you are looking at the Wild Beyond the Witchlight as a player, you might just want to skip this completely. Maybe just read our ratings and get an idea. We try not to do too much at the top, and we, but we kind of just start mixing things in so there's not really a clear delineation of like when you can listen and when you can't. So I would just be very cautious if you think you might be a player for this and just not maybe listen. If you're a DM, obviously it's completely different. So with that out of the way, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I'm here today with regular co-host Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello. And we're here today for another The Review show. And today we're going to be taking a look at the newest Wizards of the Coast 5e supplement adventure, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. We are. I feel like at this point we should start playing like, what is that? What's that kind of, uh, what's that carnival musical instrument? A calliope? Yeah, I think it's called a calliope. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. It's time for some creepy carnival stuff. It is. And, you know, again, just right off the top, I mentioned in the Ravenloft book that there were a lot of, like, weird sort of similarities between what that book was doing and what I was doing in Shadow Spawns. And this does the same thing. I think somehow either I'm tapping into the zeitgeist of what Wizards of the Coast is trying to do, or they have tapped into my psyche, because there is literally a creepy carnival at the center of my Shadow Spawns game. It hasn't come up in the story yet, but it's in the background and the backstory, and it's coming up. Yeah. And it, literally, in the first episode, I actually make the music because they find like an abandoned carnival in a buried city. But at that point, it was abandoned. Well, now when they get to it, you actually have an actual carnival to use. I do. So, yeah. So let's talk about it in kind of broad terms first. Uh, so this is and if you've seen anything on Facebook or Reddit or Twitter, they talk about the whimsy. There's absolutely... 100% level 20 whimsy in this book. I, almost like that was the uh, the the prompt. It's great an adventure full of whimsy. I start, what do you think about the event? I'm trying to, I, we're still struggling, at least I am, to figure out how to review a book that's an adventure because I don't want to spoil it mm-hmm. for those of you who might be wanting to play in it. But I want to talk about it in some of the specifics, but try to be spoiler free. So let's start broad, uh, spoiler free. Okay. And then maybe we'll go. Sp- We'll go spoilers, light spoilers in the middle and at the end so people don't want to hear that they don't have to. So what did you think of the adventure? Let's start there. Okay, yeah. So broad strokes, I would say that what this adventure is trying to accomplish is trying to give people another flavor of Dungeons & Dragons that isn't sword and sorcery 
fantasy. This is more of, like you were saying, whimsical and very, very magical, but not in the sense of magic, like high magic of the Forgotten Realms. This is more of a, uh, I don't, more, yeah, you know, just like a, a fern gully kind of very, lots of fairies and creatures and NPCs to interact with. I think the best kind of quote that I uh, that I, I read about the book was what, in Polygon's review. They basically said this is a Dungeons and Dragons book custom built for theater kids. Like mm-hmm. it is a time to go just absolutely crazy and with as much um, pizzazz as you can think in your characters. If you wanted to make a bold, bright character, this is kind of the adventure it's the uh, one other broad kind of strokes this is an adventure that i think could be run by a newer uh dungeon master and it's also uh i think it's an easy adventure and it is an adventure very much on the rails so yeah so i I would agree with that as well again it's definitely whimsical is it's got a lot of magic but it's not like powerful like spell magic there's a there's a magic item that's central to the story that's not a big spoiler but it's one of the people who run the carnival they have a stopwatch and they can like click a button and then the circus packs itself up or it unpacks itself so like when they pull into a town they just click the stopwatch and i think it takes an hour and like as all the other carny folk are going around doing their thing the the carnival just basically sets itself up and that's the sort of thing you would see in like a you know, a old Disney cartoon Fantasia style magic where it's just things are happening, but it's not like it's killing people or, you know, fireballs. That's the type of magic that this, this book has in just in loads and loads and loads. Okay. I also think it would be a good adventure for a newer DM. I think the way it's structured, is actually kind of interesting. There are uh, definite segments. So like the first part is really self-contained. But it's actually, honestly, it's almost exactly the thing we mentioned in one of our last reviews about, uh, or about my demon style. It's like an amusement park. And some of it is filled out, some of it isn't. So the first big set piece is this, is the carnival. And there's just, you can go as many places in the carnival as you want, or you can skip straight to the story. It's like a side, or like side missions in a video game. Like if you just want to talk to the three people you need to talk to, you can move on to the next segment of the story, or you could spend like three sessions just playing in the carnival. But then once you go past the carnival, you go to another area where there are several adventures or encounters that you need to go to and the game will make sure you see them. But there's also other places you can just wander around and see what else you find and maybe, you know, unlock some like side quests. Then you do it again. Then you do it again. Basically the adventure is kind of over. So yeah, I think this is actually structured very well for a newer DM because there's a lot of variation in the encounters, but it's also contained. Yeah, I think I think now's the point to kind of mention too. There is going to be some minor spoilers. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna drop any big stuff, but I do want to address the main plot so everybody kind of knows what this what this book is all about. The very basic concept of this adventure is that there is this fey land, this realm called Prismere, and something is wrong in Prismere because the different patrons of the the ruler of Prismere have started to realize that, hey, our power is starting to wane. Something is wrong in this realm. What is happening? And so it's up to the players to kind of discover their own pasts, but then to also figure out what happened to the ruler of Prismere 
and who is behind it. And I don't think this is a spoiler since this is very, um, this has been very upfront and you learn this really early in the adventure, but the very core concept is these three hacks were kind of behind this coven is behind everything. And it, the whole point of the adventure is how do you interact with these these hags and how do you get to the the end of the adventure and free the ruler if that's what you choose to do so? So, yeah, again, I, I don't know how, how much we can say without getting t- too far into things. We're going to give our ratings at the end. Though I'll put timestamps in there so people want to jump to the ratings. They can, they can do that as well. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about is the initial hook. Uh, you know, the adventure comes with basically two options for how our characters would get involved in the story. And I actually dislike both of them. Oh, I, really? I, Interesting. I, I, would, I would not use either of these hooks. I think they're bad. Dislike one of them. So, okay, tell me, tell me, since I only dislike one of them, I'll tell you the one that I dislike. And then you can kind of go from there. All right. Okay. The one I dislike is this whole concept that stuff has been stolen. All right. Mm-hmm. From each of the characters. These are not like objects. These are things like intangible things like their humor or their inability to see a reason and th- these very um, abstract kind of concepts. Um, or I mean, it could be a, an object that is very close and dear to the character and they need to recover it. And that's kind of the, the drive. Like you need to go into the realms of Prismere to kind of find these things. So mm-hmm. and then as a concept, I think that's actually kind of kind of fun and kind of cool where you lost something, but it's it mostly isn't like a favored thing. It's you know, you know, your ability to laugh, to see humor, to write like that's actually kind of a cool concept. But I just don't like the way it's presented in the book. And again, this is weird. Shadow spawns. That's that's the backstory. All the characters, even though they haven't figured it out in the game yet all the characters had an experience as a child at a carnival. And that's that that's their shared backstory that they haven't in-game realized yet, which is kind of what this is set up, is when the adventure starts, our heroes have come together to go back into the carnival, each of them having lost something as a child in this carnival and coming to reclaim it, and they just kind of get mixed in this larger story. I just don't like the way it's presented. It doesn't work for me at all. The other one is a warlock whose patron comes from Prismere says, Hey, like you mentioned, like, Hey, my power, something's weird with them. I'm way too old. Like they're like 107 in the book or whatever. Could you please try to figure out how to go to Prismere, figure out what's wrong and see what's going on with my patron. Oh, by the way, the way to get into Prismere is through this carnival. It only visits every eight years. It happens to be here this week. Um, and I know there's a way to get to Prismere through it, but I don't remember exactly. So you'll just have to talk to everybody and figure it out. I think both of those are bad setups. So for me, so I don't like the first one because it's way too complicated. And players are going to lose track of this this hook so quickly. All right. Uh, because these are not tangible objects. People are not going to role play. At least most people are not going to role play that their character doesn't have humor. All right. They just not. They may do it for like one or two sessions. But overall, that's going to get lost after like three sessions. All right. So hook is gone. It's very, this is a very hard hook to maintain. I actually really like the, the other hook though with the Warlock Patron. These are my favorite hooks because they're very simple. You have a quest giver who's like, go do this and gives the player the information right off the bat. Get to the carnival. Find the opening to Prismere, get in. I feel like it really drives the story, and I'm a huge fan of that. Fair enough. 
So however you decide to get your characters involved, either using two of the, one of the two provided hooks or creating your own, there's a huge map and a huge section of the carnival. You have all these different NPCs. There's different layers and people who you think might be one thing. Turns out there's all these like multiple layers that you might uncover and may or may not have any influence on the story, but you know, it gives you against like side quests. Like if you talk to everybody, if you go to everybody with an exclamation point over your head and talk to them, there might be an opportunity to do a thing or to learn some information that might help later. Uh, it is kind of on rails, like certain triggered events are going to happen that will force you to interact with certain people. And as long as you're not awful people to those NPCs, they're going to eventually help you and help move the story along. But I actually like the carnival stuff quite a lot. I think it, again, it's very whimsical, very magical. You can get in like a little bubble that floats you up and you can like look at the whole carnival and like a little bubble ride. And there's magical beasts. There's like a displacer beast. That's like a, a babysitter type of thing. I just think all that's kind of fun. Uh, some of the interactions, like some of the carnival games. I know I've tried to do carnival games so many times in my games where it's like, we'll have a strongman competition or we'll have, you know, sh- you know, shoot in the arrow competition. It always comes down to like roles or skill checks. And a lot of these are more like role-playing interactions. Like there's one I thought was really cute. You have a staring competition with a cyclops. Like my kids still at the age where we do staring contests. They think that's hilarious. Like we're at a restaurant, we're waiting on a food. We'll just start staring at each other and, you know, whoever blinks first loses, whatever. So I actually really kind of like the whole carnival setup. Yeah. And then, you know, you move through the, once you get into Prismere, you're going to learn that, as you mentioned, there's three hags. Each hag now has one particular area they've kind of controlled. So you've got three specific areas within Prismere that you have to navigate one at a time. And one of them is like fairyland, one of them's like a marshy swamp area, and one of them's like mountainous crags and uh, cliffs and stuff. So they're, each one looks different, each one feels different. It's chock full of these really cool, fun, really role-play intense and heavy encounters. And each one also has combat if you want to go that way. There's like a little mini dungeon crawl in each one, and that ultimately leads to the final confrontation and the the freeing, hopefully, of Prismere. And and then there's like a spoilers. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a spoiler involved. When you find out who actually might be involved in this, it's supposed to be kind of a secret, which you had a problem with. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so do we just want to say we're going to give a spoiler here? Yeah, let's talk about this. Okay, so the ruler of Prismere. All right is a very famous D&D character, all right? So, they don't say who it is, but, like, they don't even tell the dungeon master who it is at the beginning. This is my big problem. You have to read through the book and you, until the, you figure out who this is. Don't do that. It's If you're writing an adventure, give the dungeon master everything they need to know in order to run the adventure. Don't make them flip through 100 pages. That's not They're not meant to figure stuff out. It's the players who are meant to figure these things out. Give them the tools they need so that then they can create and you make the adventure how you intended it to be run. So that was a big problem for me. The other big problem for me is that it's so convoluted how they do this. This is a very famous character in D&D lore. And they go through and they... In this, this character is named three different things in this book. So it's, it, it gets very confused. At the beginning, they're called something, and then you find out they're called something else, and then at the end, you figure out that they're called something else. So I'm just like, it's just making it way too complicated. And then also, there's pictures of this character that you show the players about. I think it's in the mountainous one. And mm-hmm. if you show 
than the picture. Any player who has is a D&D nerd, especially in modern D&D, they're going to know who it is immediately. Mm. So just be warned. Yeah, I, I don't have as big of a problem with it as you did, because when, when I got to that part in the book, I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. But I didn't care. Like, as someone who doesn't really play in Forgotten Realms that much and doesn't really care about the lore, that wasn't a big deal to me. And I and I cannot imagine any character, any player that I played with would either. Like, yeah. A, I don't think they would know who they are, and B, I don't think they would care. So it's it's built as like, this is this a big super reveal, which just completely falls flat. But I do agree in principle that, you know, put that at the very first part of the adventure and say, as you're running the adventure, here's how you seed in uh, these hints so that it is a reveal. So even if people don't know who this is, they can still be involved in the mystery of going, well, there's something about this person. Let's see if we can figure it out. So they still get the satisfaction of uncovering the mystery yeah. rather than just the, it's the, and, and then you're like, who the hell is that? Who cares? That's exactly what it is though. It's just like, oh, boom, here it is. There's no like, oh, this is a hidden person, but uh, let's go. That That's a big problem. I want to, there's another part of this I want to talk about at the end. But so Carnival, you kind of mentioned it. Uh, it's the Wild Beyond Witchlight. So you actually read the title and it's like, this is not a book about Witchlight, the Carnival. It's about the Wild Beyond Witchlight. It's about the, so I went into this with a, with a wrong mindset. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a Carnival book through and through. It's not. The Carnival's one part of the adventure. And it's honestly probably the weakest part for me. It's because like you were saying, there's lots of cool stuff. But there's no drive for the players to do any of this stuff. It's their drive is to get to Prismere uh, mm-hmm. and find the portal. And it just there's no reason to do any of the quests here because uh, other than like in a video game, if you're a completionist and you just want to hit yeah. all the you know, uncover all this secrets because because you could get better information, but nothing is required. The nothing ones that are required. required well, well, it'll the the book forces you to go through, but yeah, there's a whole bunch. There's like maybe yeah. close to a dozen off encounters in the carnival that are like fun, but there is no need to do them. And like I said, there's no drive other than if you have characters who are excuse me players who just want to go and explore. So you have a, an actual map you're supposed to put on the table of the carnival, and they can like go, oh, let's go here. I want to buy cotton candy. Oh, let's go have the you know the staring contest contest with the cyclops. But unless the players are into doing that, you're not going to touch 80% of the carnival. Yeah. Uh, The other important thing about the carnival that I have to mention, all right, is that, and they say it in here, is this carnival is the carnival that is alluded to in the Ravenloft book. So in Ravenloft, one of the realms is a carnival that goes throughout the realms of Ravenloft. You find out in Ravenloft that the person who runs that carnival is actually from the Fey Wild and used to run a Fey Wild carnival until she traded up and moved over to Ravenloft and took the Ravenloft carnival in order to avoid the ruler of Prismere. So if you go read the actual Ravenloft stuff, the ruler of this carnival there is in Ravenloft because they're trying to run from the person who runs Prismere. So it's this really cool concept. So honestly, what I would do if I'm running this, I'm taking this first carnival portion and I'm using it to send my characters to Ravenloft instead of <laughs> Prismere. And then boom, there we go. Another Curse of Strahd campaign. All right. Yep. So uh, yeah, so they get to the other, you want to dive into the other domains? 
Uh, so yeah, so we so we have three. Uh, so again, basically, Prismir was one Feywild domain. Three hags come together. They each take their own segment and they divide it into three. And these are called Hither, Thither, and Yon. Again, whimsy out the yang. Yes. Uh, so hither is the first one that you're going to go to, and this is more of the like pastoral fields and you know forests and just like you know typical what you think of like fantasy uh, wilds, uh, like farmland type of thing. Not, not farm like like not for it's not heavy. It's like plains, right? But swamps. It's swampy. No, no. Swamps is the second one. No, 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 no. You're getting them mixed up. Thither is the forest. Thither is the one with all of the forest and is very much a fairy-like. Hither is the one with lots of swamps, and this is where the you deal with like the bullywugs and. Ah, uh, okay, yep, yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm looking. At, I have that backwards. Yes, so yeah. hither is the swamplands, where you also run into the haragons. Oh, oh, we didn't. Okay, we didn't, we got to go back. We have to talk about. There's some new. There's a new race include. There's two new races and some backgrounds backgrounds are like eh, whatever uh, backgrounds are terrible they're kind of i think the one is kind of cool because it gives you like it gives you deception and survival which is kind of cool that kind of uh but the cool the these these races are hilarious okay so because first off you read there's a is it it's a fairy okay you, yep. you may like the fairy doesn't have anything great all right but you got to read the details it's a fae all right, this is the same problem with the satyr in Theros. They are basically immune to almost every spell. Like, they can't be charmed. They can't be frightened. It's all this stuff. So they are way overpowered. They just are. Then the Haragon is this hair creature. And it is, honestly, I love this race so much. Yeah, so if you read Redwall as a kid growing up, you know that the rabbits and hares in Redwall were these very tough fighting creatures. That's what these creatures are. They have some incredible melee abilities, such as the ability to use their, they can use their proficiency for their initiative roles, so they get really high up in the order. Then the other thing is they can just do a bonus action to jump super far. And avoid opportunity attacks. So you can just jump right into combat, jump right out of combat. It's it's really cool. I like I like this concept. Yeah, yeah. And in the name Herringon, is that supposed to be sort of a weird pun of like here and gone, there and gone? Because they're so fast, they jump around. I think you may be onto something there. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So again, we're we're kind of struggling with how to do this review, and hopefully we'll get better at it. But from a new rule standpoint, you have the two new backgrounds. So you have Fay Lost. And these are basically people who got transported somehow into the Fey world as a child or something like that. And then you have the witch lot hand. And these basically means you're a carny, that you actually work at the carnival. Yeah. I don't like either of these. And outside of this book, I don't see anyone ever taking them. Yeah. If you're running this adventure, encourage your players to take these backgrounds because I think it gives you something. But other than that, but I think that's what adventure backgrounds are meant for. And then the fairy and the Herringon are the two new races. Again, Tom's already kind of covered them. I think the Herringon could be fun, but again, I don't know that they're going to fit in, in my viewpoint of like, you know, I got an elf and a dwarf and a rabbit person. I don't know why. Maybe it's just my snobbery. Yeah. But like in this adventure, sure. But in, in a, just like a regular typical adventure, I don't know that they fit Man. very well. And also it seems weird. Like, like I think it's almost more fun to keep them as NPCs because when you interact with them, it's kind of cool that they can do these things 
But I don't know. I think it would be better uh, if they were just NPCs rather than PC options. No, I, I'm just imagining this adventure I'm going to run now with Tabaxi and Haragon and Leolins. And it's just going to be me and my pals, like, role-playing our fursonas. But, all right. so well, but, I want to be in a Usagi Yojimbo. I'm going to be a rabbit okay, samurai. there you go. Th- then I'm in. Oh, that's sweet. Um, and quickly, just a couple of things. We also have uh, another um, trinket table. I'm a big fan of the trinkets. I think they're awesome. I love rolling trinkets for characters. I think it really helps me, like, hang my role-playing off of them or my backstory. So you get an, another list of 100 sort of Fae-more-inspired trinkets, which is kind of cool. Okay, so then back into the adventure. So you got Hither, which is the Swampland. Thither, which is the like the fairy pastoral fields. And then Yawn is like the mountain crags and cliffs. You go through each one. Each one is sort of, you know, you've got like four or five adv- encounters in each one. Some of them are required, and the, the book will tell you that. Some of them are optional if you want to move around. Uh, and then those are all going to lead you to... The Palace of Heart's Desire, which is where the the former ruler of Prismere is currently being held, and ultimately your job is to free them and restore Prismere to its glory and run the hags out of town, basically. Yeah, the I think we let's break these down real quick. Uh, so hither, cool swamp, lots of creepy locations, and as far as the general layout for these various adventures, what they all include is. A bunch of random encounters, all right, different locations within these slices of Prismere, and then a dungeon crawl at the end, with the, each dungeon crawl uh, being capstoned by an encounter with a hag. I actually really liked Hither. I thought the as far as the locations go, it has the as it has the strongest encounters in my opinion. But this is where this kind of adventure kind of starts to reveal itself in the sense that there was this big marketing, I'm going to call it a ploy on Wizards part, where they said you can run this adventure without combat, okay? Yeah. Which is very goofy, and a lot of people have opinions about this. In my opinion, I will be straight up, D&D is a combat game in the sense that all of the classes themselves, their progression method makes your characters better at combat. All right. So there is no incentive to level up for the most part, especially if you're playing any sort of melee focused class in this game. But with that said, I was like, okay, well, maybe they did some really cool uh, design in order to make this game where you don't have to do everything with combat. But it's kind of a cop out what they did, which is basically every single creature in this section, especially, but in a majority of this book is just not hostile. It's basically like, as long as you don't punch them, they won't punch you. Right. So it's it's kind of, it, I don't know, it was just a little bit frustrating reading this because you have, yes, there is conflict in role-playing and with diplomacy, but it's just, you don't, I don't, I feel like you don't get the uh, the same level of drama and not everything needs to be combat, combat, combat. But whenever I you're reading all of these encounters, it's like, yeah, they're not hostile. Yeah, they're not hostile. You run across random blink dogs, which are crazy monsters. It's like, yeah, they're not hostile. It's just like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think it would be, you know, I, I agree. I saw all that on the Twitter, the discourse that it's, uh, you know, you can do the pacifist run. But the game doesn't really incentivize that. It, like, if you fight something or you talk to it, you can get the same information. Mm-hmm. It's not like if you fight it, you get different information or worse information. At least I mean, there might be a couple occasions. I'm not going to say hundred percent, but for, for the most part, it's just 
player choice. Do you want to role play this out? Do you want to diplomacy this out? Or do you want to hit with the stick until it doesn't move? Both of them are, are fine. You basically get to the end point the same, however you decide to get there. And I think it'd be better if they were like, if you fight, you get this. If you talk, you get this and this Yeah, to sort of incentivize that. And I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, it's 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 tough, especially if you are trying to do a like it's almost like very video gamey. Like I'm going to do a run of this adventure where I don't kill anything. It's kind of at the end. There is a creature that you basically have to kill. And the only way in order to get to the next part of the adventure is to kill it but the cop out is you release another creature to kill it so you're not really killing it something else is killing it so it's i don't know it's most of the time players they want to do the cool stuff that dnd has offered them which is that cool stuff is you know the fighter with all of his attacks and teleporting and wizards with their fireballs that's the cool stuff and players want to do that so they're gonna do it so yeah Opinions, you know. Opinions. Um, there are different factions because, you know, there's three hags that control these and they don't always get along with each other. So there is some role playing opportunity to have one faction help you against another uh, so that you're not necessarily going to be overwhelmed if you do decide to go into to combat. I, I didn't think that was great either, but it's there. Uh, you can't move from domain to domain. So once you get into Hither, you're kind of stuck in Hither unless you can find a someone who will help guide you to the next one. And this is a completely overt Wizard of Oz <laughs> yeah. homage. Yep. And there's actually a couple, like, even before these characters were introduced, some of the imagery, there's like one where they're in like a, a balloon, like a, a hot air balloon type of thing. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, this is kind of like Wizard of Oz. And then once it hit me, I kept seeing other things. I'm like, oh, this is, you know, so because you are dealing with hags, i.e. kind of like witches, and there are good witches and there are bad witches sort of in here. And I definitely think Wizard of Oz was a huge inspiration for this, but particularly the three guides that you need to find to help you get through. One is a scarecrow, one is a tin man, but they're actually like a squirrel, and one is a lion, but a dandelion. So 100% these are allegories to the Wizard of Oz characters. Yes. Uh, yeah, and then that dumps you over into, from hither you get to thither. All right, mm -hmm. which is like you kind of said, this is the very much more whimsical, foresty kind of area. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of this is the section where you can kind of figure out where the who the ruler of Prismere is uh, at the end. Uh, also, I will say this probably one of the best creatures shows up here, and it is the Displacer Beast Kitten. All right, mm. big fan of this. I am all about giving players cute animals they and they're few and far between and this is like it's so good so yeah and if you might mention in the carnival there's a displacer beast that acts as sort of a, a babysitter maybe those two things are connected somehow i don't know you figure it out yes and then you get to yawn again that's the uh craig's mountainous area cliffs kind of spooky but I, I think it like aesthetically is kind of like my favorite. I think it just looks cool. And I, I could see there being some cool adventures and cool th things happening there. Uh, one of the things I do want to mention just from the way the book is organized, the carnival is, is the largest section of the book. And then you have hither, which is the next biggest. And then you have thither, which is the next biggest. Then you have yon, which is the next biggest. So basically it's sort of like a funnel, uh, which I think actually does a good job of kind of giving you propulsion through the adventure. So like each time you move to a new area, there's actually less to do there. 
Yeah. But it just means you're moving faster and faster. So it's going to build up some momentum that you're going faster, faster, and you're pushing yourself to the end. And again, I think that's good adventure design that especially if this is a new, your first time running a game, this is when you're doing it. I, again, I'd circle back. I think this is actually a pretty good adventure for our first or newer DM, uh, sort of an on rails adventure within with sandbox sandbox elements. Yeah, I agree because overall kind of continuing that the the major plot actually isn't very complicated here. It's not. No, not at all. The so the honestly, I don't know if you had anything else to say about Thither, but I just wanted to say out of all of the different lands, this was probably my least favorite. It felt very I felt like we've seen this before. It's very much your your very much classical fantasy kind of section mm-hmm. the, so but that moves you on to yawn which is i love yawn so much because it is the creepiest i feel like of them so yawn is ruled by the hag that is probably the cruelest and the whole concept here is this hag will only give you the information that you want if you perform a play for her and it is a very creepy play. It's very, this hag is probably the, it's just so weird in the sense that she takes people's free will. Uh, and this is also the section with lots of, I think this is the one with all the creepy dolls and whatnot, constructs. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just, I feel like there's a lot less encounters here, but the dungeon here is probably the biggest out of them. So I actually really like okay. Yon. It's really dark. It feels more like a Ravenloft domain than a Feywild domain, but that's my opinion. So. Okay. So again, so we're we're trying not to spoil too much, um, but that's the the basis of the adventure. Go to the carnival, get into Prismere. Prismere is now three sections. You got to go through each one. The end of each one, there's a hag. You need a guide to get to the to the next one. When you get through all three of them, that will lead you to the Palace of Heart's Desire, where the original leader of Prismere is being held. It's another dungeon crawl. You get through it. You free them, and the big reveal of who they actually are, if you haven't already figured it out, and or care. And then, yay, everyone's happy. The end. Um, we already talked about the the new backgrounds and the new um, races. There's some magic items in here. I know that's one of Tom's favorite things to talk yes. about. So, Tom, do you have a favorite magic item that was I in this edition? I do. Finally, we get a cool staff. There is an Eldritch staff that is included. So, I love the idea of a character who wields a staff, but they're not powerful. They're just not. So, now, though, we have this magic staff that gives you all sorts of really cool bonuses for doing melee damage and then the other great thing about it is that you can teleport with it so i love this because i've I've said that i like to be able to move all around the battlefield it makes me feel really cool uh and this is just i love it it would be awesome as a warlock to use this or just as a blade warlock to add this to your 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 arsenal of weapons that you have available to you. I think this is super cool. There's lots of... We get a continuation of lots of cauldrons. Uh, well, two cauldrons, because you're dealing with you're dealing with some hags and different things like that. Um, I think these are some really cool magic items, though. I dig them a lot. So I'm going to be very basic, and I'm going to pick out one of the swords, which, again, it's not... Usually I don't like weapon magic items, like, like weird things, but I love Snickersnack. That is a cool freaking sword. Looks cool. It's just a Vorpal sword, though. 
It's a vorpal sword, but it looks like it's made out of like roses, like in flowers, and the the pommel is a rose, and just the the way it looks. I mean, it looks fragile. Yeah. But it's a it's a great sword. It, it's a vorpal sword, plus three to damage on a natural twenty. It removes something's head. So a vorpal sword. I just I I love the art. I love the way it looks. I just look. I love how it looks delicate, but it's actually a very powerful weapon. So uh, out of all of them. That's uh, that was actually my favorite of the magic items. Yeah, and then we get some we get factions and creatures. I actually really like this how they break down the different factions and the creatures that belong to those factions. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, and then so in the creatures section, we get our recycled art. So they so Wizards has been doing a really good job with the last few books and no recycled art, but they went ahead. And they did all this great art, but then they go ahead and drop recycled art for the Korid and the Red Cap. I was like, come on, you did all of this art, and you're going to go ahead and just drop in at the end two recycled pieces. Don't do this. Um, also, the other thing about the factions and creatures section that is super annoying, which is going to affect my overall rating of this book, is... so. Wizards need to make up their mind as far as what they use appendixes for. Because throughout the book, you have stat blocks. But then sometimes it's like, oh, go to the appendix to look for the stat block. So it's either include everything in the stat block or in the appendix. So I have one section where all of the monsters are. Or include everything in the adventure so I could use it when it is needed. Don't do this mix-up thing. Hmm. Figure out a format and stick to it. It was so... It's so annoying. One of the big announcements that just came out from D&D Celebration is that they're going to be updating stat blocks and make them more like the 4th edition ones. And I think part of that is so they will be able to include them in the adventure as they're at because they are the 4th edition blocks were so more self-contained. So I think that, that might have something to do with it. So you're probably going to get your wish. Maybe. This is more of a layout thing, but there is a role-playing card section, uh, which I think is actually super helpful for newer DMs. Love this. Pretty much all of the main NPCs that your characters are going to interact with has a little card. You know, it's like a two by four, three by five inch thing that you could photocopy because I would not want to actually cut them out of this book. And then you could have them in your hand behind the DM screen. So when they meet Burly the bugbear, it gives a little information about them, their lore and their alignment, you know, basically their alignment, their personality traits, their ideal, the bonds, their flaws, so that you can refresh yourself or role play them appropriately based off of what you know their role in the story and it's great there's one for all the major npcs that's fantastic for a newer dm to be able to have these available to them when they need them great addition to the book yeah the other thing is actually you can buy this they sell the like the adventure kit for this which includes all of these cards i think it retails i'm looking at it right now retails for like 80 dollars, includes dice and all this other kind of stuff so if that's what you're into, you don't want to, because if you don't want to flip to the back of the book and want them just right there in front of you, you can go get that. So, but it's cool. I really do like that. There's a section for Stage Frights Lines. This connects to Jan, where you're putting on that that play. Uh, so it's like a heavy sort of role play, almost like an improv game, I believe, the way that works. Is yeah. that the Stage Frights Lines will be randomly generated at, at times? Yes. So I do. These are super cool, too. And then we had Story Trackers, which... This is interesting, too, because I was joking with uh, one of my players that these will never be written in. Okay, nobody writes in their nobody writes in the back of their books. I I wish they would have included. These are very cool. Unless I guess if you want to go copy them out, I hope 
that they would include these as a free resource online that you can just print. I really doubt that, though. Um, but, hey, I could be wrong, and now I'm going to actually go check. But uh, the they're cool. I wish they would have included an example for how you're supposed to use them. Uh, it's just like I don't know what to write down here. It's Yeah, the, the, throughout the book, it'll tell you, like, this is something you should write in the story tracker. And it's just a way to kind of keep up with the different plot elements, like which NPCs they may have befriended. If you're using the Lost Things hook, you know, the characters might find their things. So you're supposed to keep up with where they are. There's one item in particular. There's a unicorn horn that uh, is an important item to the story. And you determine, I think, randomly at the beginning which of the three realms it's in. Uh, who might have information that they can get it, and and it's just basically it's like a it's a DM tracking tool. I think you know those of us who DM a lot, we probably have our own method. I use note cards and those types of things, so it's just a way to kind of help a newer DM keep up with things. But I I agree the idea of including it is good. I don't think the execution of it is actually that great. Yeah, here. I think a lot of if you're a new enough DM that you need that, I don't think you're going to know how to use it to benefit you. That this is probably there's probably something on DMs Guild now, or there should be with like here's how I would have used this. Here's an example. Here's what you might want to write after the first one because this could be a very effective DM teaching tool. It's just sort of plopped in this book, and I don't think it does what they think it's doing. Now, uh, yeah, and then obviously at the end you get your tear out map. I will say this: mm-hmm. I actually really dig these maps. I am a big fan of very artistic. Uh, maps that are have a lot of that don't really follow any set scale but are more of just kind of visualizations because unless you're running a hex crawl where distance really matters just go crazy with maps and all the maps here are just super cool it's just I, I, I dig all the maps in this book yeah, each realm has its own map. There's like an overview. The, the pullout poster map is basically the same thing. It's just big. And, but you have individual ones that you can show your players if you don't want to rip it out of your book. But yeah, I agree. I think the maps are, are really cool. I do like them quite a lot. Um, so yes, yeah, so let's go ahead and move into our uh, wrap-up and our ratings. Yeah, um, okay. So, so we'll start with art and layout. Also, the regular cover versus alt cover. What do you think? What are you going to give this book? So, all right. Art, this has some of the best art ever. I think that the, I don't know if Wizards uh, got feedback with some of their previous products, like, uh, you know, I'm talking about Eberron or even the the Wild Mount book and some of their products from 2020 and 2019, which kind of are lacking in art. But like the last few books, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, Ravenloft, this one, the art has just been incredible. I love it. Like I said, there's only a couple recycled pieces and that are at the end. Okay, layout. Oh, boy. This is rough. All right. Because part of layout is giving information in a clear way. I kind of mentioned that they don't tell you the information you need about the big bad. Not the big bad. The um, the the Prismere. The rule of Prismere. Right. The other thing is it's so hard to know what the motivations of any of the bad guys is. Because... They don't really say you have to flip through and read every detail. Like, I don't know why the hags are doing this or what's the purpose of their realm or how do I even run their realm? It's it's so it's very each of the beginnings of these chapters should have included like this is what the hag is doing. This is who you need to find. This is where they are. Give that information to the dungeon master. Information is not laid out well in this book. It's it's just not. It's a cool story. And if you really read it, it's cool, but as far as if you're going to run this, 
It's easy to run, but you have to read everything. Like, there's no just wait till you get to it. So layout was rough for me here. Uh, so for that reason, uh, I'm going to give it a C. So it was that. The layout was that. It was just that frustrating for me. All right. Fair enough. Um, what about the alt cover versus regular cover? Any thoughts on that? This is the alt. I love this alt cover. So it is. It's clean. It's It's got the white with the colors just pop. It's got the displacer beast on it. And I dig, I know you were all about the Ravenloft cover. You like that cover. There's just too much going on for me. If there's going to be a, like all or special edition covers, I like them when they're simple and clean. Hmm. And this one's just, it's super cool. Limited colors. I just, that very consistent palette. I, I love it. All right. Uh, so for me, the, you know, the art I think is good, really exceptional. I, I don't have a big issue with them recycling a couple pieces of art. I think they're very evocative. I think they fit where they like they help show the tone of a particular place or a feel. Uh, so I think the art's great. Definitely would be an A for me. The layout, I don't have, again, the same problems that you had. I, I agree that not putting some of the stuff early on doesn't make sense. It's like you're trying to like eat your cake and have it too, where your DM is also going to be like, oh, that's who it is like yeah. when they get there. But it's it's just not a great design. I like the things like the role-playing cards. I think those are cool. Um, there is no index. Not a good thing. So bad. So, so I'm going to give it a B for art and layout. A little bit better than you. I like the art. The layout doesn't bother me as much, even though I have problems. And yeah, I mean, I think the alt cover is cool, but it's I don't. It just doesn't do anything for me. So it's sort of a meh. Take your pick. Like I don't know that I would pay extra for this one. Like if I was buying this, you know, in a couple months when it invariably goes up in price. So all in all, art and layout for me is a B. Gotcha. So let's talk about crunch. I'll go first here. There's not a lot of new crunch here. You get the two new races. I don't particularly care for either one of them that much. I don't like the backgrounds at all. The magic items, there's only like a handful. There's like one cloak that basically, it's like a disguise cloak. It can change its color or make it look like you're wearing other things. But for me, the the crunch here is lacking. I'm going to give it a B minus. Okay, so this is where we're different. Okay, we flip-flop on this one. I actually like the crunch because I've I already said that I love these races so much because mm -hmm. to me over the last few years, D&D &D has become, I've really started to, when I'm going to play d and I'm going to play it for what can I do with the rules? Because there's so many of them. It's kind of become for me like a, it's almost like a puzzle. All right. And these races, if you use them correctly, are incredible like i just think they're super cool the other thing which i'm going to include in like crunch is that there's lots of little rules that are very specific for this adventure such as the carnival games the plays all these different things that are just spread out which are not like core rules but are things that they've added tables to roll on different things to really just help the dungeon master do more than just simple role play so for, i really mm -hmm. like that also I do think these are really good magic items other than that they did include the Dread Helm and Cloak of Many Fashions, which are recycled magic items from the, um, not the starter set, the, the starter set. Essentials. Yeah, it's, they're cool, but I'm like, ah, why are we going to recycle stuff? Give me new stuff. We already have limited magic items in 5th edition, so give us more. So actually, I'm going to give this an A-. minus. So I actually kind of like this this crunch here. So I do want to so take us on a slight, slight tangent. I, I meant to bring this up earlier. So there's a, a kind of a rule that they use in this book 
that I don't remember seeing before, and it's very possible that I just I missed it. But there are times where they will have the DM call for a skill check, and then it doesn't matter what you roll, but whoever gets highest triggers something, and whoever gets lowest, or whoever gets lowest triggers something. So like if you're doing like sort of a stealth, you have everyone roll, and even if everyone rolls 37s or higher, whoever rolled the, le- the lowest number is heard or seen or, or trip something, or it's like a perception check. Everyone roll. And if, even if the highest number is eight, whoever rolled the eight sees the thing. Is that something you've experienced before? I don't remember seeing no, that it's, anywhere. It's not. I dig it though. I think it's really cool because I think, especially if you're very clear with the players that this is what's going on and it's more or less a creating a role play moment, you kind of get rid of the binary success failure. And it's more of like, Hey, uh, somebody is going to fail. So everybody knows that somebody is going to fail or succeed. And it's just going to, it creates new role play moments. So I think that's a cool way of using a D20 mechanic and a new, new light. So, cause actually, yeah, I actually like it as well. Um, I thought that was an interesting sort of uh, rule to put in there that when you have those situations where, yes, if everyone rolls perception, someone's going to pass, or if you're rolling stealth, almost always someone's going to fail. And so that's kind of an interesting way to deal with that. So I actually did really like that quite a lot, uh, but I'm still going to keep my rating cause I didn't like the other stuff. All right. Fluff. Okay. You go first here. Okay, sure. Uh, fluff. Okay. So individually i love it so in the sense that i think it's very cool they're doing some really cool stuff i like how they did bring in this character from uh dungeons and dragons lore i think that was really cool and creative and i think it gives something substantial to this adventure uh i love how they tied it into ravenloft but as a whole it's kind of terrible all right in the sense that in the sense that they just Nothing seems to fit right. Like, what is the hag's motivation here? After you kind of deal with the hags, they're kind of gone. They're just... So they really are just in their realm, even though they're kind of the big bads here. They're just kind of... You go through you go through uh, Thither and uh, there, and you never run into that hag again. So it's... I don't know. It just... The carnival's cool, but like I said, once you go through it, it's kind of gone. So there's no... Because it's very much on the rails, this is it's hard to this feel like this is a cohesive world, if you will. And I, I I'm very hyperbolic, and I sense that it's I, when I said as a whole it's terrible. It's it's not that bad, but it's just like I wish there was something more cohesive here. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to give it a B. All right, I, I get the sense that this is an adventure for kids. Like I can see this being an adventure that you would run yeah. for like ten to twelve year olds for sure. Maybe not old. Maybe not old enough to be like jaded kids yet. Yeah. Like still those cool know, kids. Everything is everything is cool and magical again. Like unicorns and Pegasus and Displacer Beast kittens, like all that stuff. I, I think from that standpoint, it's kind of cool. And I I got this sense, and maybe you agree or disagree with me, but there's a lot of times where I was reading the book, and it's all this whimsy and magic, but there was just something that I kept thinking. This is actually really dark. If you just yeah. like, if you just think about it for a second longer, you could run the same adventure, more like a Ravenloft adventure where it's not whimsical, it's awful. 
Yeah. And I kind of like that. It kind of, I was like, okay, so maybe that's what we're dealing here. It's, it's sort of a mirror thing. Like this is the, the one reflection, which is all upbeat and whimsy for like kids. But if you wanted to run this as like a really awful, you know, dreadful campaign, I think it's all there still. You just got to tweak it a little bit. Yeah. That's why I do think it's, I do think it's, I do agree. I will say that it's really only Endelin Moongrave in Yawn. Like for me, that is the only one that is actually like really dark. The only reason I say that is because this this hack is actually like, I'm going to take your free will. Whereas the other hacks, it's not like they're not like trying to hurt the players directly. They aren't, so that's the thing that kind of makes this not like Ravenloft, whereas Ravenloft, it's all about I want to break these characters on it like at their core. Whereas this is kind of like the characters are almost observers. So that's why I do think that it would kind of work for kids, really, because none of the the evil bad guys are like, I want to kill these characters. Like, that's not the point. The characters are just kind of moving throughout this land. So, but yeah, I do agree. I mean, it's so, carnivals and weird face stuff is so easy to kind of flip it on its head. That's why I'm saying, just run, just take them from the carnival and throw them right into Ravenloft. Ignore this entire adventure and just use it as a plot hook to run a Ravenloft campaign. It would work so well. Throw the hags into Ravenloft. They work. I don't know. That's my opinion. Uh, but for me, for the fluff, I'm going to give it a B. Okay. I think it's it's fine. There's elements I do like. There are probably elements I will steal even for my shadow spawns because I do have that creepy carnival that's going to come up. So there might be some some similarities when I actually get there. But overall, I don't know this is an adventure that I would run uh beginning to end the way it's presented there's pieces and parts i would take but it's it's okay it's not bad i don't think but it's also doesn't it's not elevated in my opinion okay uh and then so for overall rating for me that puts it solidly at a b yeah so it's it's a good book i'm I'm glad i have a copy i think it's cool but it's this isn't like have to run for me but there are things i'll steal from it yeah same i think this is a b for me too i had this i was talking with my players this is very specific they flipped through it and they were like yeah i don't ever want to play that it's just because the I think it all comes down to the whole idea of I have a very role play heavy group, but the whole idea of like all the creatures being non hostile, it just doesn't work for them. They're like, I want to choose when I as the when I as the character am getting out of the situation. I don't want it to just be no nobody wants to hurt me. Like that doesn't create drama. So uh, that's kind of they were like, yeah, we're gonna pass on this. So as I was really thinking about, hey, I kind of want to run this potentially. Um, but they were like, no, we really don't have interest. So there we go. I won't run it. So I think it's like, like you Excellent. said, though, it's, if you, it's great adventure for kids. I really do think so. But if you're looking for some real heavy, deep storylines, that's not what you're going to get here. And I don't think that's what they were trying to do, though. So I think that's okay. Uh, so certainly still want to thank Wizards of the Coast for sending us these review copies. Really appreciate it. Uh, both the, you know, overall, this gets a B from both of us, uh, which is not a bad rating, but it's huh. also not the best. Yep. It's a B. It's a it's B. B for, it if you want to, if you want to do a carnival. Bay, maybe, 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 maybe. there you go. Maybe bye. Uh, but Tom, thank you for joining me today. Uh, anyone listening, if you want to share your thoughts and opinions, do you agree, disagree with our ratings, hit us up on Twitter, comment on this episode, or email me at the RPG Academy at gmail.com. Uh, until next time, this has been Michael and Tom. And remember, if you're having fun, doing it right. Thanks. See you next time. 
Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.